0: Chumba Casino
1: has over 100 casino-style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly
2: beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: (gasps)
3: Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest back to the podcast. The man needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. You know him as Joe the Policeman from the What's Going Down episode of That's My Mama. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage. Eddie, fuck around and find out, Gallagher.
4: Thanks for having me, brother. Thanks for Good coming back.
3: Here. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, uh, I wanted to have you back. I know you've been doing a lot of stuff with your foundation. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, and from a clickbait standpoint, I wanted to be able to say what really happened and uh and post that so everybody clicks on it and then here's you and I shooting the shit but yeah. uh had had to throw that in there. Uh how's <laughs> awesome. uh, how's things been?
4: Dude, awesome. Uh I mean this year has been great. Um you know, I've been traveling a lot. Got to take my son hunting the first week out here in Fort Davis, Texas with uh Aaron Snyder for a week just got to get oh, out cool. in the mountains there and no internet, no phones, no nothing for a week. It's exactly what uh, me and my son both needed. Yeah. And then uh, we've just been keeping busy, uh, especially with the foundation, Piper Foundation, that's yeah. uh, taken up a majority of our time, which we're grateful for, because yeah. uh, we made a lot of strides in the past two years.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's neat to see the the all the different uh, soldiers' lives and, and people's lives, frankly, that, that, uh, that that's played a role. And does one stand out as being you know kind of the most uh, the one that you're most proud of or that's made the biggest difference i know they all do but
4: yeah i mean they all have they all stand out in their own separate way i mean you know the recent one uh with matt Degas, the uh uh policeman from san diego um you know we were we we're fighting for him over the past uh i'd say year and a half as he was going through this bullshit um you know mob justice uh type thing and you know he he had his day in court and got found innocent um, you know, and that that was really huge to us because we, we really uh, got behind him as an organization. Uh, you know, we, we got him the lawyers that he had. Um, so all you, all the hard work um, that was put into it as a team, um, yeah. I think all of us were pretty proud of the outcome. Yeah, And then just to see those two, him and his wife, now going out and he's speaking out about all the injustices that he went through. Um, and, you know, they've taken a lot especially his wife has taken a lot of, uh, advice from Andrea of how she went about it when you know I was going through my thing. So to see people be open and take the, that advice on and use it and to see it work, it, it's really something.
2: Yeah.
3: I mean, it's uh, it's amazing work. There's no doubt about it. I'm, I'm curious, what, uh, what does that process look like for, uh, for the, the user say, you know, him, him in that, in that instance, like what, what do they go through to, to get your support and how does that all kind of pan? Yeah. Out? So
4: basically, um, you know, we we as an organization are constantly like looking out and seeing you know these stories that are putting out, um, and we especially pay attention to the ones where they're condemning you know these police officers or soldiers, sailors, whatever. And because we after what we've been through, we know the truth uh, that the media puts out what it wants, and it's only like a quarter of the truth. Sometimes not even the truth at all. So we keep an eye on those cases, and then you know if that individual wants to, you know, get our help, um, all they got to do is they go on the pipe hitter org, and they just fill out a grant application. We, uh, re- review the grant applications once, sometimes twice a month as a board. And, uh, you know, we go pretty much around the round table, um, and give a yay or nay. Um, so if we all are thumbs up, then we step in and uh, pretty much tell that individual like, Hey, we're going to take it from here. Um, as far as advocating for you. And then we start raising money uh, for emergency relief funds, especially if they're married and have kids. Um, And then we also will raise legal funds at that time. So it's been uh, this, you know, since we started and these past two years, it's been very reactionary um, because, you know, we were started off as, we're still a very small organization. Uh, We have no overhead, which is awesome. Um, nobody gets paid except for our executive director who should be getting paid 10 times more for the work that she does. But, um, <clears throat> you know, now that we've actually got to help out numerous individuals and I think our, the last big case was obviously, uh, the Marine, um, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller. Yeah. Um, we stepped in and helped him out. Um, that obviously, um, got a lot of headlines and, uh, we raised uh 2.5 mil, for him within a week wow. for him and his family, uh, because shit. we knew they were going to take away his retirement <clears throat> and pretty much try and ruin his life for actually speaking out and wanting accountability, which is what the rest of us all wanted. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at that time we were, <laughs> his case, we were, we were busting our ass uh, day in, day out. And when I say we, I'm, I'll take myself out of the equation. My wife and Dina who run all the administrative, administrative and logistic stuff in the background, so we decided, like, hey, we're going to take the foundation's going to take five percent of what comes in because um, we weren't taking any money um, as a foundation before then. So we managed to raise a good amount of money for him, and now we actually finally have some money for the foundation, so we don't have to be as reactionary. So when people yeah. now, when people call in or uh, not call in, but fill out grants, and we can automatically give them, you know, a five thousand dollar emergency relief fund to be like, hey, here, here's here's you know, some money to get back on your feet while we start working for you.
3: Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. Is, uh, how difficult is it from a board standpoint? Like, I don't know what the volume of, of applicants consists of, but you know, it's I can only imagine it's difficult to say no. I mean, how, how do you kind of prioritize? Yeah.
4: Um, you know, and that's, that's been a conversation between the board, uh, over the past couple of years on who, who we choose to help and, who we choose to deny, um, you know, we we stick to our core pillars. Um, you know, if the person is facing an injustice um, and they're being treated um, unjustly by the system and it's what we've seen the past two years like this, the media is involved and they're getting, you know, demonized, that's really where we want to step in. Um, we do get a lot of grant applications like, you know, I'm going through a divorce and this and that and it's it becomes this very drama and we're, we stay away from that we're yeah. like no this is you know we started this organization for a purpose um and that's to help the warfighter, you know uh, police officer or first or uh the um first responder first responders thank yeah. you um, uh but you know that's that that's part of our core pillar and if we can't we, – we do our best not to deviate from that. Um, yeah. It is is it it is hard to say no to some individuals um, because, you know, you want to help out everybody that's going through a rough time. But, yeah. you know, the fact of the matter is, like I said, we're a very small organization, and we have to really be really careful on what we get behind and what we're going to put our time and energy towards.
3: Yeah. One thing I want to talk about is a, a good former teammate – we didn't work with the guy personally, but a former team guy that's doing some really cool shit – out of Montana, uh, A.D. McKinnon, a.k.a. Mac with Mac belts. Uh, he was kind enough that both the belts that we're wearing, uh, are, are his. I'll take mine off. Um, really, really high quality products. Um, they're handmade leather belts out of Montana. He, uh, has a really unique and interesting story. His, uh, career was cut short after a, uh, it basically a uh, an explosion uh, accident that gave him enough traumatic brain injury uh, complications to to where he had to leave service. so he is now hand making these belts uh, there's also this antler knife uh, that he sent with, which is pretty awesome uh, yeah. as well as some uh, some leather care uh, products for for the belts themselves. but he's got uh, normal belts uh, ones with buckles he can do really cool like laser etching into them for initials or logos or, or things of that nature. Uh, but you can just tell that they're, they're really, really well-made. And, you know, both Eddie and I are, are wearing, wearing them as we speak. So I yep. uh, just wanted to, to throw a shout out and uh, give him some support. Really good dude doing some awesome stuff out of there. I encourage you to go to Mac belts. Uh, he's, he's on Instagram with that name, as well as the, uh, the website and, uh, and check him out and support the, uh, the mission that he's doing. So thanks Mac for the belts. They're awesome. Awesome. We appreciate you. Appreciate it, brother. As you guys know, you know, health and fitness and nutrition are a big part of my life. Um, you know, being an entrepreneur and running business and foundation dogs and all that, uh, you know, stress plays a big role. And, and, you know, obviously nutrition also plays an enormous role in productivity and, and brain cognition and all that stuff. Um, one thing that I've come to, to realize over the last couple of years is how big of a role magnesium plays, uh, especially... In terms of absorbing vitamin D, a lot of people, you know, take vitamin D and supplement with it. And there's been enough studies now that shows how, how vital of a role vitamin D plays in your immune system and not not getting sick, basically, whether it's COVID or other shit. Is that vitamin D plays a huge role? You know, so does vitamin C, but vitamin D actually even plays a, a bigger role than a lot of people uh, have historically thought. But one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that if if you are deficient in magnesium your body will not absorb the vitamin D that you're supplementing. You know, so it, it, it can be completely useless if you're not getting enough magnesium and, and over 75% of the population is magnesium de- deficient. So, um, you know, the, the reality of it is is that you need to be supplementing with, uh, with magnesium also and, and good magnesium. You know, a lot of them have uh, the, the two cheap synthetic forms and, and they're not full-spectrum. Uh, so they, they won't do much to, to fix your magnesium uh, deficiency either. Uh, I take Magnesium Breakthrough by BioOptimizer. Uh, it's organic, full spectrum, uh, includes the, the seven unique forms of magnesium for stress relief, better sleep, uh, vitamin D absorption. It's all all in one bottle. It's two, two pills a day before you go to bed, uh, and I've been amazed at uh, just the, the mood, energy levels, and, and just how I feel in, in general. So it's a, it's a key component to, to my diet and nutrition uh, regimen. So I, I strongly, strongly recommend it. It's made a, a noticeable difference in my life, so I wanted to share that with you. They, uh, they have offered 10% off any order. Uh, if you go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash mic drop and uh, use mic drop, just all one word, all lowercase for 10% off any order. Uh, wanted to share that with you guys. Check it out, and uh, they'll take care of you with that discount code. Mic drop. Uh, it's it's for sure tough. I you know we sometimes run into that on the warrior dog side. You know people will uh, say you know hey I've got this German Shepherd. You know it's never never served, never done anything, but it like you know nip their kid or or whatever, and they're like you know we're gonna have to put them down if they don't. You know blah blah blah. Like we get applications all the time for dogs or even, you know, people that want to buy personal protection dogs that like are an abusive relationship and they fled their house and, you know, yeah. they're like, I have 2,500 bucks and you know it's just like, fuck, I, you know, it doesn't even begin to, I mean, that's the shipping on, on bringing a dog, you know, from <laughs> yeah. overseas, like let alone all, all the other costs. But uh, so, yeah, I know what you mean there. Um, in terms of kind of what you've got going on outside of, of the foundation right now, what, uh, what all does that consist of?
4: Uh, so, Right now, um, I'm doing um, consulting, so really, you know, the past, <clears throat> since I got out, um, you know, went through transition and really tried to find an area that I was passionate in, which, you know, the foundation, I'm definitely, you know, we're all passionate about that, but I wanted something sort of, of my own that I could go do, and I was just, I was blessed enough to make some uh, friends down where I live these uh prior seventh group dudes um Brandon Graves he opened up a massive range um it's his it was his vision since he got out and he he got it done I mean it's it's like a, it looks like Shaw's um, mm-hmm. almost has a two-story kill house um can house up to 30 people there it's really really cool range so um they let me come in to their team and uh I've been really helping them promote that range and then doing I've been I started off this year instructing um and I've instructed uh Three all female classes so far um, on just basic pistol, um, you know, getting these women comfortable with a gun, um, yeah. you know, so they, you know, God forbid, have to defend themselves. Uh, and then also we're doing, you know, we do advanced pistol rifles, so yeah. that's growing right now. Um, Is that and, all part of
3: that same range?
4: Yeah, yeah, it's all part of the same range. Um, and then also, you know, we're we still have the Seek Battle brand um, that we are going through nine line with, and then uh, I also hooked up with a company, a local company, um, precision tactical, they, you know, make all sorts of weapons and, and guns. So they came up with the idea to, you know, Hey, let's make a rifle, put your name on it, um, and sell it. And you can, you can pick out all the parts. So I, I was a little wary at first. I was like, eh. but <laughs> yeah. then after talking to uh, my wife and this guy, <laughs> this guy was pretty cool. Um, uh, Ward Lewis, really good dude. And so I was, you know, the whole purpose of wanting to go with that company is we really wanted to help the local community out. Uh, so we were like, okay, let's do it. And so we, you know, we built the uh, seek battle rifle. Um, I got to pick out all the parts um, from different companies. So I told the guys like, Hey, this is, I'm not going to sell some cheesy gun. Like if it's yeah. going to put my name on it, then I want it to be, you know, the like best Your of dream the best. rifle. So yeah, this rifle, it's, it's legit. I mean, if you, the, I built it purposely. So if you, once you buy it, you really don't have to add anything onto it. Yeah. It's tricked out. and all you The only thing I left off was a optic because yeah. everyone has their own opinions on those. So, yeah. what uh,
3: What is your preference on that?
4: On optics? Yeah. Uh, you know, i obviously come in from our community and all we use are the EOTech. Uh, but I have, you've been using the Holosun um, and honestly, it's... Really no different. They yeah. got some nice glass, and so I've been using those.
3: Did you ever, Did you guys ever use uh, the Trigicon Reflex? Uh,
4: in the teams? Yeah. No. Really? We, we never used any. We didn't have any red dot sights on the teams. It was all oh. iron sights on the SIGs.
3: I mean, for uh, for rifles, the uh, the Reflex, like the, I can't remember the, the nomenclature of it, but, like, this was back, you know, earlier 2000s. Like, that, that's all I used. <clears throat> I was. Used,
4: we used the aim point. Yeah. Um,
3: I, we like there were guys that used the aim points, and there were guys that used uh, there were guys that used the um, the reflex, and I, I was the reflex guy, uh, which I, I still to this day I have on on a couple of my rifles just because it's. Uh, in fact, I don't think they sell them anymore, but it's uh you know it's the Trigicon Iridium you know, or Tridium fucking night sight that there's no batteries, it's always on. Yeah, you know, which to me is just like kind of a fucking no brainer. I've I'm I'm really baffled. I mean, I'm not a huge weapons guy like I don't you know I don't run courses and fucking shoot all the time and and whatever but um you know from just kind of a common sense standpoint it's like if you can have a a red dot style sight that doesn't ever turn off and doesn't need batteries like why the fuck wouldn't you want that over something that gets bumped and left on and then you go you you know now it's fucking off and like I don't know it just to me it seems like pretty fucking obvious but um but anyway that's all I ever used but uh anyway i uh you know I'll, I'll get back to i guess the so you're doing that and then uh are there things out, outside of that i know you mentioned a speaking engagement have you been doing a fair bit of that or
4: so yeah like we just recently um we've done two speaking engagements and that really is just tied to the foundation um so we you know obviously go tell tell our story what we went through um to sort of set up the you know, like this is why we started this foundation this yeah is what do um so it's that's been really awesome because I get to go do it with my wife Uh, that's cool you know we get to go together and sort of share our story but at the same time like hey you know this is not like a story of woe or like feel sorry for us like we're we are using this to move forward and uh you know what I really tell people you know going through the story is um the big point I want to get across is you know the my wife and my brother are the ones who stood up and they had to fight relentlessly every day for nine months while I was locked up just to get me the little rights that I should have already had. And that took nine months day in day out of just relentlessly fighting back. And, you know, when I talk to these people, I'm like, you know, we can see how our story now sort of resonates with what's going on in this country. We're having our, our rights stripped away just little by little and everyone feels the same way. They you know, this is not right. You know, um,
3: but what can and, I do about it? Yeah, like, you know, and I mean. so I
4: tell them, I'm like, if, you know, my wife and my brother can sit here and take on the U.S. government, the media, and the military at the same time, and win. I'm like, imagine if all of you stood up with that same tenacity and drive yeah. and really spoke out like, hey, we don't agree with what's going on. But I was like, that's what it's going to take. Um, so I really try to, you know, drive that point across. And obviously, you know, when I say like, stand up and, you know, speak out, fight back. I'm not saying it, you know, extremist violent way. I'm saying, you know, use your words and that matters because when we were going through our case, like the amount of American people that stood up who didn't know me that got behind us and really were voicing their opinion like, hey, what's going on here is fucked up. I mean, that got the, the ear of the president. That got the ear of people that could actually do something and help. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's what, you know, it's going to take that type of action again, um, yeah. to, you know, and, you know, get our country back to the way
3: it, it was. Be. Yeah, I agree. The, uh, you know, I've been curious from, a and not to pry, I mean, obviously if you don't want to answer it, don't, but like from a relationship standpoint, was there ever a point during the whole process and even since where where that put a strain on your relationship or was it always the opposite where it kind of emboldened it and made things better? <clears throat>
4: uh, it, it emboldened. Everything we went through, I think it's it all depends on how you look at it, right? You, you could look at it as a strain on the relationship, um, you know, because obviously it's very stressful um, on both of us and the kids. But I think coming from our, the community that we came from and we'd already been through so much, shit that was a lot, in my opinion, a lot worse than what we were going through. I mean, you know, I, we lost so many brothers and, you know, those were my kids' uncles. Um, so I think, you know, my family going through that already, they were already resilient. Um, and so once this happened, anything that came at us, we, it just made us stronger. We just took it on and we're like, we're not going to let this, you know, break us. And we're going to keep moving forward. That's not to say, you know, it's it's easier said than done, but that's the attitude we've had. Um, that's the attitude we're going to keep having going forward. I mean, that's sort of where we got the fuck around and find out from. It's like, hey, you want to like keep coming at us, you're going to find out like we're not going to back down. We'll just yeah. keep spitting the facts and coming right back at you. So, yeah.
3: uh, and you'd say when you say we the, the kids too that was uh, they, they were a big part of that too, or did it ever negatively impact them?
4: I mean, yeah, it's. They were, they're a huge part of it. Um, I would say, yeah, there's definitely negative impacts of going through something like that. Um, which is why, you know, in our foundation, we provide the emergency relief funds because I think what people got to know is when individuals are being targeted, um, and going through a situation like that, the family suffers as well. I mean, all that stress that that one individual is going through, the family's taking that on too, and they don't deserve that. Um, but yeah, it, it happens. And you know, if, I think if we didn't have the people that were supporting us during the time that really rallied around us and, you know, were raising money for us, were taking care of my kids um, while my wife was traveling back and forth to visit me in prison or go to court dates, um, I think it would have been a lot harder. Uh, So, you know, that's why another reason why we started the foundation um, is to help those families out. Um, But, you know, and the aftermath too. Like I think – once, like, these people that are found innocent, you know, afterwards, and especially, you know, my case as well, it's, like, everyone's, like, oh, that's a victory, which it is, but it's not over. Like, your life is turned upside down. You've been, especially if you've been demonized in the media, I mean, you're, you have a long hill to climb, and that's where we also step in as well. Like, you know, we we partner up with other uh, nonprofits that help veterans to transition, law enforcement officers through transition, through transition Um, and we've we've talked to them we're like hey when these individuals are done we'd like to shift them over to you and then wait you can get them out of this hole uh, if they're in one so it's it's a a team effort
3: yeah I mean it's amazing work no doubt and it uh, you know to me it highlights how unfortunate it is that there needs to be that in the first place you know Uh, because a lot I would say from the cases that you guys have been involved in that I've uh, you know watched and, and followed along with, really in every instance, the things that happened shouldn't have happened to begin with. Like, the, you know, not, none of that should have taken place, you know, and it, I think it really speaks volumes to the direction that this country is headed. You see it in a lot of things that are going on, uh, you know, with government mandates, and, and, and yeah. you know, some states are far worse than others, but but they're all, um, they all have elements of of tyranny to them that uh, that, you know, a lot of people hear, you know, folks like us talking about it and think it's overkill or that it's, you know, being dramatic or whatever, but it's like that, that's how it all starts, you know? And if you look at say two years ago, you know, went from two weeks to flatten the curve to freezing fucking people's bank accounts in, in Canada, you know, and arresting them for, for protesting, you know, and and especially when there's other protests that happen, you know, where they're saying, you know, we need to give these, these protesters space and, and allow them to do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. You know, but uh, which you know politically are aligned with, uh, you know, with with that group, and then when there's people that are politically uh, opposing to that group, they get bank accounts frozen and arrested and, and whatever. And I think, you know, the the Second Amendment being probably the biggest reason why you're you're not seeing as dramatic of government uh, tyranny yeah, it's here. Why
4: we're not Australia right now,
3: yeah, or, or Canada. I mean, yeah. like in both of those places, you look at, at how much worse they are. Uh, off in in this you know COVID environment where mandates have have you know ruled the fucking uh, the law of the land the last two years and uh, and ours is is noticeably less I mean it's still still not great but you know that, that to me that that should speak volumes to a lot of people but um, I, I wanted to post uh, the fact that I was having you on and, and give uh, some of the viewers a chance to ask a few questions so I wanted to run through some of these yeah. there's a shitload of them so we're not going to get to all of them mm-hmm. but uh, there's at least fucking 20 of them, um, that are all, all gathered around kind of the same thing, which is, uh, I like the way this one's written the best probably, which is if there's a bump in the night, what is, what is Eddie reaching for pistol rifle? What optic white light accessories, et cetera, on their weapon. And, and I, and I would add, uh, ammo too. If, uh, if you care to share.
0: Chumba. Chumba Casino
1: has over a 100 casino-style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. we were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.
4: Uh, so, you know, by, by my bedside, I have, uh, a Daniel Defense um, shorty, and then, you know, my uh, SIG, um, both ready to go. Uh, so there's a, there's a bump in the night, and it's it's happened a couple times where it's yeah. like, hey, I'm going to go check that out. Um, <clears throat> as far as optics, you know, I have an EOTech on my uh, Daniel Defense, and then, like, a Sun on, on my pistol. Yeah. Um,
2: no uh, no white
3: lights on either, or do you have? Yeah,
4: a- I have a wi- uh, light on the pistol. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't. It's... You know, people have their own versions. I mean, it works. It's yeah. A, it's a white <laughs> light. It's bright. And it's going to, you know, stun whoever I shine in the face. Yeah. Um, but that's, those are pretty much my go-to. And then as far as ammo, I'm I'm not a big uh, ammo. again. Just, really? Um, not, you know, especially nowadays, I'll just, I take what I can get. Yeah.
3: Um, I mean, is there a fucking ball ammo or are you using at least uh, hollow points? No,
4: hollow points. Yeah. yeah. Or just whatever Sorry, brand. Yeah. I, got, I got hollow points in yeah. the pistol. Yeah.
3: That's uh yeah I mean it's always interesting to know what uh, what people are rocking for sure yeah my wife
4: also on her bedside as has her yeah. pistol as does well does she shoot a lot um she's starting to now yeah. um <laughs> you know going in my career I was I would always try and uh, give her lessons you know before I deployed or anytime yeah. I was gone for a short period of, or a long period of time and what I found out you know which, which is funny is uh, teaching these which I love teaching all female classes is uh their husbands will show up. And they all say the same thing. They're like, dude, thank God. Yeah. Because she won't listen to me. Yeah. Like, I can sit here. And, the, you know, these guys are showing up are either Rangers, Green Berets, yeah. uh, CAG guys. And they're like, yeah. dude, so she won't listen doing. to the thing I say. And yeah. so, I, you know, and I, it's the same. I can relate. Yeah. Uh, but now that I'm teaching these courses, Andrea is starting to get into it a lot more.
3: Well, that's cool. That's good stuff. Uh, all right. Having having been involved in combat in the Middle East, would you go back for a vacation? If so, where in the Middle East would you go?
4: Uh, we're talking about the whole Middle East. Um, I I
3: mean, to me, there's uh, only one place that I would consider going, but I I won't, uh, corrupt your answer by, uh, by throwing it out there first.
4: Uh, you know, um, Erbil, um, was, was actually really nice. Uh, And then they had a nice, uh, (laughs) the countryside out there that we got to go like tour, look at, uh, near the end of deployment. I mean, I take my family there, obviously not now, yeah. um, but if, I don't think I'd ever go vacation in the Middle East. but if I was forced to, that's, that's where I would go and take my family. And then the people there, obviously the Kurds, um, they're yeah. phenomenal. Yeah.
3: Um, that's interesting. Very like-minded. Yeah. I guess there's, there's two places. One, one place for sure. I mean, I would go to Dubai. I've been there once, uh, Dubai is fucking awesome. Yeah. I've been uh, Yeah, uh, you know, been there. but, uh, I mean, it's almost not even the middle East, you know, but, um. As far as, you know, the typical problems that you may yeah, run into. Dubai, but...
4: I spent a whole deployment there. The whole and, fucking deployment? Uh, Yeah, UAE. Wow. Um, it's, you know, they have the uh, Cree, which is the crisis response element, um, which, you're, you know, for the vanilla teams, like, we go there and stage, and then if something happens, we, we can react to it, you know.
3: Instead um, of Bahrain? Like, did they move it from Bahrain to Dubai? Or... Uh,
4: they still they only have a small contingent in Bahrain and I'm obviously I've been out for three years now, so it could have changed. Um, But at the time we had, you know, large contingent and UAE. Um, That's a better place to be fucking staged.
3: I'm sure that's part of, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. There's,
4: there's some thought behind it. Uh, But you know, I remember going down, you know, down to the, uh, to Dubai in that city. And I was like, dude, it it reminds me, it's like if someone gave a five-year-old all the money in the world and they're like, build whatever whatever city you want and it's because you walk around the malls there's like holograms popping out it's nuts
3: yeah it's a really neat place I mean uh yeah I mean like it's been a long time since I've been there but even when I was there uh it was it was really really neat and I know it's just gotten crazier since then but the other place I would actually I would still go there's parts of Jordan that are pretty cool um, you know, there's a place called Petra. That's a, a real, yeah, I've heard, uh, we were right by it. I was in Aqaba for uh, almost two months right after nine 11 and, uh, we didn't get to go there cause everything was shut down. But, um, that's where a lot of the, uh, Indiana Jones, I think. And, the
4: yeah, the, uh, last uh, crusade.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, uh, I think it was that one where yeah, a bunch of uh, shit was filmed there and, and whatever. But, uh, yeah, all these really cool, intricate, uh, carvings out of, you know, rock fucking cliffs and stuff that, uh, it's that's really, really cool. But, um, yeah, Jordan's not, not too bad.
4: Yeah. That would actually be a really cool place to yeah.
3: visit. There's a really good fucking recreational diving in Jordan too. We, uh, we dove really? there a fair bit. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was, as I've dove in the great barrier reef too. when we, uh, did a deployment and, and spent some time in Australia. And, uh, I I would say it's absolutely as, as good as the great barrier reef. Like it was world-class. Oh,
4: wow. That's saying something.
3: Yeah. Um, did Buds help prepare you for what you experienced in prison?
4: Uh, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you
3: weren't doing knot tying in prison?
4: Yeah. I uh, wasn't doing a 50 meter underwater swim in yeah. my cell. Um,
3: I, I mean, I can only assume that the, you know, maybe the, the correlation is the mental toughness aspect. Yeah.
4: And this is, I, because I get, I've, I've been asked that question before like, hey, does, you know, the SEAL training prepare you for this or that? I, with buds and SQT, and this is my opinion, is it trains you for the job to do the actual job as an operator. I mean, I and as far as the mental toughness aspect, buds doesn't doesn't give you mental toughness either. I yeah, think you, just you, test it. you have it already before yeah. you show up. It just gives you a chance to prove it um, that yeah. you you can put up with anything.
2: Yeah.
4: Um. So no, I the I tell people I'm like, there's no training when your own country locks you up. Yeah. and they come after you there's no there's no training for that yeah. um so yeah you have to rely on your own resilience um you know your own strength and then big i always big promoter of this is you know my faith uh that's what i relied on yeah I and mean, that, that got us through it
3: yep uh in keeping in that same line of serious questioning did you ever drop the soap in jail somebody <laughs> like <laughs> god i hope so no, on I, purpose
4: i've seen all the movies i put i tied a rope the first day on the bar of soap. uh No, Uh, the, uh, there was no open, so no open showers. Um, so you, you literally, the shower was in the pod. It's like a little closet, um, that you go into and you just shut the door and, you know, and then it's military prison as well. So you're not in there with like, you know, the same, it's not Rikers Island, uh, but you know, it is, it's still prison. It sucks. Uh, but yeah, there was no like real fear of.
3: So, so in that regard, it was very different. I'm assuming that, I mean, were there any guys in there that were like, what the fuck? Like this dude's a loose cannon. Told oh, f-
4: for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some nut jobs in there. Uh, especially the guys that are serving long sentences. Um,
3: do you remember what any of the sentences were for?
4: Uh, yeah. Well, there was a female in there. Um, she, well, and she was, you know, they obviously, obviously have a female pod. So you just see them like marching to chow or whatever, but, uh, Yeah, she smashed her baby into a wall over and over and over and killed it. So she's serving a life sentence. Uh, What in the fuck? Oh, dude, yeah. There's some crazy ones. And then, like, you know, I've said before, um, it's the majority of the people in there were in there for uh, sex offenses and, you know, pedophilia, um, stuff like that. Um, So there's some real weirdos in there, man. Like, but they all, like, the weirdos, they look like a bunch of nerds. I mean, they... And a lot of it is all from behind a computer is what how they got in trouble. Yeah. Um, but they are weird. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of conversations that I would overhear just sitting there um, that you just really have to, you know, bear down. And be like, dude, just just let this go because you, you really want to just kill this dude. I mean, I, I had to tell a couple guys, like, like, hey, get away from me. Stop talking, you know, keep talking about this. It's like, I'm going to, you know, I, I think I told one of them, I was like, if I see you outside of here, I'm gonna kill you.
3: What uh, What was the conversation?
4: Uh, how they should be able to screw little kids. Really? Um, that it's normal. Um, that like these are two do.
3: like two guys talking about like
4: it? like they were talking about a baseball game. Holy, um, God, and then I think the worst story I heard, or worst thing I heard, is there was this other chief in there, uh, this Filipino dude who was charged with um whatever masturbating his own kid uh, or maybe it was yeah it was his own kid um got caught doing it and he was in there about to get tried uh, for it and you know you never know like you know like oh i don't did this dude really do it or cuz of course when i first met him he was like you know i didn't do it and this and that and I really didn't have like in-depth conversations with him about it. This was just him trying to come and talk to me. But then when he came back from his trial, he was talking to another dude that was in there for sex offenses. He'd been there a long time. The guy was a real piece of shit. Um, But he went up to him and he was like, Hey, I did exactly what you told me to do. Um, I went in there and cried and act like I felt sorry and, this and that he's like, I put on a whole show, and they, they only gave me, th- I was like two to three years, um, for you know, diddling his little kid. And uh, that right there, it, <laughs> I had to go to my cell and just like pace back and forth because I was like, dude, I it's disgusting,
3: yeah. Um, well, and if and if you assault anybody in there, that tax on
4: oh, yeah, dude, you can't get away with anything in there. And this is this is how frustrating that prison was, so. You can't eat in between any meals, all right? You barely get anything to eat at the meals. Um, And so if you, if you, like, say you're eating, you know, a meal and the guy next to you is like, hey, I don't, I don't want my chips. Do you want them? And you're like, oh, yeah, that's trafficking. You can go to solitary confinement for a month. Uh, If you touch somebody, like, I'm talking handshake, high five, solitary confinement. So it's very, uh, Regimented and militarized, um, so it. I mean, I, I understand why they do it because it keeps the peace, um, but it's also a pain in the ass as well.
3: Yeah. Did you lose weight? A lot of weight in there.
4: Yeah, uh, the first couple of months I was dropping weight like crazy um, until I uh, team guided my way into getting extra food <laughs>
3: <laughs> in, tr- in true fashion. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, with that, like, did did everybody? Once you were there, did everybody kind of know who you were? Like, oh, was yeah. it a high-visit or high-profile?
4: Oh, they were all expecting me. Um, it was, like, a week before, um, which I didn't, you know, didn't know, but I guess the guards were already talking about it. And the way it was put out, you know, we're getting this, like, psychotic seal coming in here, that, mur- you know, mass murderer. So when I came into the pod... Uh, after they had me in solitary confinement, and I finally got put in with the rest of the prisoners. Like, yeah, there was a uh, there was a, a common fear among everybody to like they didn't want to talk, which I liked. I was yeah. like, good, leave it this way because I don't want to fucking get to know any of you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it I was definitely treated um, sort of like a cross between Jason Bourne and Hannibal Lecter. Uh, yeah. But then once people got to know me, they were like, all right, this dude is. Yeah. Not what they say. Um, it sort of, sort of evened out a little bit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. it's wild.
3: Um, how did you, how did you deal with the mind fuck that is inside NCIS and how did you maintain hope?
4: Uh, well, NCIS, is <laughs> NCIS isn't really a mind fuck. Um, it's more, they were clown. I mean, they're a clown show and that, uh, you know, that's like day one shit when I was a new guy in the team's, it's like it was bred into me. Like, do not trust NCIS. They all they want to do is take down a seal. Um, and they actually, my first platoon, they came and took my chief away uh, middle of the deployment, um, which was it was on complete bullshit. Uh, but we all got investigated for two weeks.
3: What um, was what was the, what was the uh, reasoning behind? They
4: said that we were taking money off target because um, we were doing DA after DA after DA, um, and so I think they were like, oh. And it was actually <laughs> a lot of drama between my OIC and my chief. My, they hated each other. So I think my OIC is the one who actually called NCIS to come get the chief. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they they literally came, took him away from us. Um, we actually almost stood up and fought them. We wanted to because we loved our chief. Um, he was awesome. And uh, then they just locked us down for a week, uh, questioned each one of us. And that's when I sort of, I got my first taste. I was like, dude, these guys are some like amateurs. Um, So when my, my case happened, it was the same rigmarole. Um, I knew when they came in, I was like, these dudes don't have, they're not true investigators. They, they were literally looking just to like bag a seal so they can get promoted. Um, And, you know, they would come in when I was locked up and try and try and fuck with me. Um, (laughs) Like, Hey, we want you to like spit into this cup or now we want you to do this. And I'd just refuse and be like, no, no, <laughs> uh, I'm not. Unless my lawyer directed me, he's like, Hey, you have to like, give them your fingerprints again. You know? And I'm like, okay. But I would also mess with them back. Um, they'd, you know, they'd come in once a week or twice a week or twice once every two weeks and I would just come at them with a different personality. I'd show up, like, super happy, like, hey, guys, yeah, whatever you want. You know, sure, here you go. And then the next time they came in, I would just be a complete dick. And, like, and they, so they didn't know what they were getting either. So, you know, you got to – yeah, you gotta, you can play the mental games with them back and forth. Yeah, um that's a trip.
3: Uh, in terms of keeping your hope up, was, would you say your faith was the number one thing? or Big time. Yeah,
4: um, yeah that – you know, and I, I tell the story in my book uh, – just the the time that I, I mean, I got down on my hands and knees and just gave everything to God in my prison cell, which is the first time I've ever really done that spoke out loud. And I physically felt the weight come off me. Um, not just, you know, and I, I tell people not to say like the rest of the time was easy breezy, but I always felt after that safe. Like I was like, this is going to work out. Um, and you know, my wife is a huge, uh, woman of faith and she, you know, she's, she felt the same way. Um, so anything that was thrown at us, we you know our faith, God gave us a strength to sort of like come back, come back from it each and every time. Yeah, yeah,
3: that's awesome. Um, we had a question about uh, the treatment program that you did uh, that you talked about on Sean's Show, uh, the the Mexico yeah. uh, kind of Ibogaine. exercise the demons trip. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know fr- from I-, I guess kind of. Uh, going further in depth from what you shared on there pe- people have been been asking a little bit about that and just kind of what uh, what that's like <clears throat>
4: um, it's uh, you know I think it's different for each person that goes and goes and uh, takes the medicine um, for me, it just really set a foundation um, of like hey this is how I'm supposed to feel uh, because you know it's a very 10 hour, Intensive experience. Um, and you, before you do it, you have to write down three intentions. Like, hey, this is what I want to get out of it. Um, and at the time, I was obviously, it was not too far, not too long after I had gotten out and dealt with all that BS. So I was like, dude, I just want to feel like normal again, like back to myself. Uh, I want to feel happy. Um, and, you know, and I was like, I forget what my other intention was, but it, it showed me all those things and it showed me, you know, um, what really mattered most. I mean, it was showing me a lot of, uh, not horrific, but sort of traumatizing stuff. But then off in the distance, like not in the distance, but literally in the corner, I could just see my wife and kids like beckoning me back to them. Um, and that's, that's what it was really saying. It was like, you have everything. Like all of this shit doesn't matter. Um, so
3: were were all the things that you were seeing that were negative things that you'd been through that you were just reliving or were there was yeah
4: so you, you it's and it sounds crazy but yeah you are literally watching a film of yourself and it's as real as it gets I mean to the point where I watched myself be born I watched like little bits and pieces of my childhood um, and you can sort of it's like a film coming across so you can stop it and be like I want to delve more into that like
2: and so that's a fucking trip it is
4: it's nuts you know and and like I said each person has their own experience um like I had a very peaceful experience on it even though it was like intensive I didn't throw up I didn't I didn't move uh, a single appendage the whole night and they said I had just like a smile on my face the whole time while there's three other guys in there I could hear just throwing up all night long I mean I felt bad they were hurting the next day but they also got a lot out of it they were like um you know it's you know they got throughout their demons or whatever um so each person has their own experience and I think you know some people uh you know go back for a second time because they were like hey I didn't get everything out um I felt like that was that was good for me um you know and I definitely you know recommend that treatment but I would also say if you cause I hear a lot of people talking about it all the time now. Now it's like the big, Oh, I'm a Mexico trip and I'm going to do this and take a, you know, psychedelics. I'd say be very careful. Um, you know, going down that path. Yeah. Uh, I would, you know, if you're going to do it, be, uh, intentional about it, take it seriously. I mean, I, I prepped for a month ahead of time. Um, you try and cut out a lot of stuff out of your diet. You know, they want you you know, stop drinking. Oh, you know, it's all good stuff for you. That's what you should be doing. Yeah. Uh, but to, I would tell people like, if you're just going to do it just to do it, then you're yeah. not, you're not, a, you're not a candidate. Yeah.
3: I, I mean, I've had, uh, I've talked to a lot of people that have done it and and similarly, you know, it sounds like they had kind of similar experiences, but, but like you said, there were nuances person to person that, that varied, uh, you know, a little bit, but you know, I've had a lot of people say, "Oh, you should try it," and, and I've always kind of taken the approach of like, I I don't really feel like I I need that. Like, I you know, I don't, yeah. I I don't really drink to begin with. Uh, I don't fuck with drugs. I I'm not depressed. I I don't feel like I'm an angry guy. Um, you know, there's some people that when they meet me, they think I'm pissed about something, but I, <laughs> I but I'm not. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and so I you know, it's just like I don't have like any super toxic fucking terrible relationships that i can't deal with or, or anything like that so i it just i've, I've never really felt like I, I should go do it but uh, and
4: that's you and that's sort of the point that i was trying to make is it's not for everybody. if you don't feel like you should do it or if you're like eh, i'm good like don't go do it just because everybody else is yeah going i to do it um it's there's yeah. other treatments out there as well um that you can go do
2: yeah. Um, I,
3: I can think of other things to do in Mexico for, yeah. for a few days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that'll but, clear my head Yeah, uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, that, that maybe would put me in that treatment. Who knows? But, yeah. uh, yeah, I just, um, I you know, like, I like, I think for a lot of guys who like, you know, realize or, um, you know, come to the conclusion that they feel like they're in a in a tough spot in a dark place, and and they need something, and they need help, or they need yeah. something like that. Then, then yeah, that makes total sense. I just have never, never felt that way. And the same thing with like the some of the magnetic treatments with TBIs and stuff. Like I haven't been tested for them, but there, there's nothing going on with me that would lead me to believe that I have some crazy TBI damage either. You know, yeah, so like
4: yeah, I, if you feel fine, then that's. Uh, that's you know, all you can really ask. Yeah, about. like, like I, I, I'm,
3: I, I'm happy and I, I, yeah, like I, I feel like I'm, I'm in a good spot. You
4: know, and one thing I'll add on to is the ibogaine treatment. Like, it's not the end all be all either. Yeah. Um, I think there are people who promote like I did it and now my life is like magnificent and everything's great. Um,
3: you think you, some of that's placebo? Like,
4: I think there is a afterglow um, when you come back from taking it, and that afterglow can last, you know, anywhere from four to five months. Um, but it's a drug and you will come down from it. And uh, you <laughs> guess what? You're going to be back to reality. Um, yeah. So I think there is this um, false expectation that's put out by some people like, Oh, you take this and everything's going to be great and you'll be fixed. I'm like, no man, like you're going to come back to reality. Yeah. And that's what you need to learn to deal with is, is, reality and not like hey now i'm going to go take some more drugs to escape like yeah everything is peaches and cream when you're you know high on whatever i mean yeah. that's the point of drugs but like you should be really um working to deal with real life without having to depend on those things um yeah. you know and that's part of life man life's not yeah. all peaches and cream yeah. like, there's there's uh roadblocks and you should learn how to navigate those roadblocks without yeah. having to go
3: mexico and get fucking get on some shit i I am curious the um well two things one that the kind of the pathway if you're familiar with how that stuff actually works but also why it's not legal here and and is i'm assuming there's a big push to to make it that way is is that
4: there is so you know you have uh, uh amber and marcus capone um that started the vets program um they are working hard uh, to get it legalized here, and they they made some good headway, especially here in Texas. I know they uh, passed something that they're going to start uh, allowing doing treatments here. Um, oh, that's cool. And you know, there's little uh, pockets popping up all over the country where they're allowing you know certain psychedelic treatments to take place. But I think the main pushback is, and we all know, is big pharma. It yeah. doesn't want doesn't want people using you know, not the... dependent on what yeah. they're providing. Yeah. So yeah.
3: Uh, do you know the, the pathway, like the neuropathway or the the mechanism that that drug actually does what it does to oh, you?
4: Oh, dude, I don't. I wouldn't be able to. Yeah,
3: <laughs> Let's I'd get into the science, people, yeah. Eddie. Come on. Give me, give me. Actually. yeah. Uh, was there a, a particular point in your life where you focused uh, the most time on throughout your time frame that way? Like you, where, a spot where you stopped the film uh, and, and focused? Heavy, um, heavy you know,
4: I, a lot of, it's a... Uh, a lot of childhood stuff, um, mainly, um, you know, nothing with my career, like none of my deployments came up, nothing I did, you know, during my career, it, it all stemmed from just growing up. And I think that's the, um, that's what was explained to me before I went. Uh, and they, they do a very good job of not, um, raising your expectations on anything. They're like, we're not even going to tell you what this drug does, but, but they'll explain to you like hey when you're born you the first two people you see for most for most people are like your parents and your those parents are god like that's all you know well then as you're growing up <coughs> you, you learn that these two people that you think are god are not actually god they're just imperfect human beings like everybody else and they may might make mistakes um and everybody has different um, experiences growing up, but when stuff happens to you, when you're little, you start building your ego. Um, You start building walls like, hey, that hurt. I don't want that to happen to me again. So now I'm going to build this wall up inside me so that can never happen. And so as you carry on through your life, you keep building more walls and walls, and that sort of becomes who you are. Uh, And I think for a lot of us that obviously chose the career that we did. Um, I think they've done a study that, you know, most of us have had trauma, you know, some trauma in our childhood that drove us to where to become a seal or a special operator. Um, Then obviously through your time as a special operator, where you, you build all sorts of walls because you then put yourself through more trauma. Um, So that's what that medicine does is it really breaks down those walls. So for mine, you know, I was a military brat, I uh, moved around every two years, um, which was, you know, can be a stressful life, especially, you know, for uh, you know, my, my mom and, you know, she, we had me and my brother um, and just, you know, and my parents were great. They were, I have no complaints, but there was certain things that I just had to work out. Um, and that's what the medicine
2: helped me do. Yeah.
3: Were there, were there any things that you saw during that journey trip, whatever you want to call it, that you forgot happened or oh
4: yeah oh yeah dude anything you
3: care to share that
4: um it's it's hard to explain like uh you know actually what the craziest thing that happened is um as i was going through my life um watching it it at some point i was holding my youngest son's hand um and i could see it like sort of focused in on the hands and then it morphed into my dad holding his dad's hand oh, and it back. And I could, it was like actually happening. So I could watch my dad when he was little and sort of what he went through growing up and his family, um, you know, which answered like a lot of questions. Um, so yeah, that, that was pretty crazy. Um, and then also I, I could hear conversations like phone conversations that I've had in the past with just me and my wife, like, Conversations we had when I was on deployment, um, stuff like that—that that was just constantly going off um, that I completely forgot about. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really cool. It's like it awakens a part of your brain that you have all of this shit stored up there. You just can't access it, so it lets you, it like opens that up and you can access all sorts of stuff. Wow.
3: I mean, that makes me think. You know, from a productivity standpoint, um, nat- naturally, I'm go- I'm going here. Is is there a way to like Dial that way the fuck back into like a pill that you could take that would maximize brain efficacy or something. You know, like I not know. with
4: that medicine. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I can't answer yeah. that hundred percent, but I, I would find it hard to believe with that medicine. Yeah, that you could you can't somehow like microdose it and microdose it. But then there is got you know people do microdose uh, psilocybin. Yeah, um, I've done it, um, and that does, if done correctly, it allows you to sort of access. Um, what, what it does for me it makes me more uh, emotion emotional um, i'm more aware of my emotions i am um, more empathetic um, and i can also think clear um, when i'm on it
3: yeah well that's interesting um, is it something that from your standpoint overall was a positive that you would advocate for
4: uh... uh yeah i i do i i would advocate for it but then again i'd also go back to be careful yeah um, you know because obviously anything can be abused and anything not done in moderation is going to be harmful yeah. in the end. So I would say, you know, consult somebody if you're going to do it that knows what they're doing, and not, not these uh, all these shamans that are popping up all <laughs> over the place now. Uh, I'd be very careful on who you yeah. who you consider a shaman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would go to a trusted source, um, sort of ask them. There's also therapy out there that uses it now. Um, they do psilocybin. I've heard of like MDMA, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I I would again, go back to like, be intentional about it. Just don't do it to do it. Um, and you know, Oh, I'm going to see what this does because it's, it's going to, yeah, it's going to take you for a ride, but you know, you want to get the most out of it. Yeah.
3: Uneducated experimentation rarely works out well (laughs) in, in, in any fucking regard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, did no, that in high school. Yeah, that's the fucking <laughs> truth. I mean, that fucked us with everything, right? But, yeah. Um, was there anything? Uh, and I'll, I'll I promise I'll stop badgering you about it uh, no, after this. But the was there any childhood experience that you'd forgot that had taken place that you saw that that uh, you you really remembered?
4: Um. I would say most of them that that popped up, I had forgotten about, um, or I just been so long that it blocked out of my you know brain but like just certain instances like i uh when i was like five years old uh, i think we lived in hong kong at the time um but just it was it was positive it was like my dad taking me to you know sea world or like i'm holding my dad's hand uh you know my, my mom being there just it was very happy and positive which is what i needed
3: yeah are both your parents still alive? They are. Yeah. yeah. Did you share that that with them? I did. Uh, <laughs> Were they like, what the fuck?
4: My mom is, but definitely more open. Like she's she's a little hippie. Um, yeah. She's just a saint. But yeah, I came I, I came back and <clears throat> this is the other thing because uh, I've had guys that get done with it and they call me and they're like, dude, I just got done. Like, holy shit! And they're you know, and yeah, you are. You're like radiating because you're like, <laughs> yeah. I need to tell the world. Exactly what happened. And I'm like, dude, chill out.
3: Write and, it down.
4: Yeah. And I, I tell people, I'm like, give it a month or two before you go out and start like talking about this because yeah. you need to absorb what you just saw. That's for you. Um, but yeah, I, I went and talked to my parents, you know, probably like a month after I did it. My <laughs> my dad's very old school. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, I, to describe my dad, he, he was uh, Eagle Scout, Yeah, went to West Point, you know, very straight edge, like militarized. So he, I think he listened, but he's just like, what is this bullshit? You know? <laughs> and then my mom was more accepting and she's like, okay, um, you know, I'm glad you did it. Uh, yeah.
3: It'd be cool to, to have your dad do it as fucking straight at like, Oh, I wish
4: know? I would, I brought that up. Not, not the Ivy. I think the Ivy game might be
3: <laughs> too much for him. Too, yeah. That's like the nuclear dose, but fucking to do explode. Well, yeah, so if you can, I, I apologize for my ignorance on it. What what all is what, what all is entailed in that uh, experience, drug wise? So
4: you go um, to Mexico. Obviously, uh, they put you in this you are in this nice uh, building. Um, everything's you know taken care of for you. They have like a chef there making healthy meals. Um, so you you have to uh, not eat, I think, for twelve hours before. Um, and then you go in. You do like this little um, ritual uh, where they have you write down your intentions. They they have this shaman uh, lady come out. She does like a prayer. Um, does the, uh, it's the stuff they burn, like sage or whatever. Yeah, sage. And then you just take this two capsules. Um, they come around on a plate, and you take those two. And it's like. <laughs> It's too late now. Stand yeah. by. It's a it's yeah, fucking you, red pill on you, steroids. Yeah, you go up, lay down on a mattress, put a, a eye shades on, and they have EKGs hooked up to you, so there are people monitoring you the whole night. They have doctors there. Um, so it's so, just
3: two pills, that's it. Yeah, two And, and that's Ibogaine?
4: Yeah. yeah, and that's the, yeah, what they say is the nuclear dose. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, after that 10-hour uh, ride, you have the whole next day to sort of, reflect on what happened i mean i got up and probably wrote like 10 pages in my notebook of like you know half of it was probably scribble scrabble the rest was actually what i saw and then um, the next the day after so you have a whole day to sort of recuperate and the day after you do uh, five meo dmt which is uh poison from a toad um and you smoke it and that's they call that the handshake so they say the ibogaine shows you what you need to see and then the 5 meo DMT sort of, it's like the handshake, like now release it all. Um, so you smoke that, and that's like you literally, they have you inhale it, and you have a bed behind you, and you just fall back. Um, and then there's, there's no bed anymore.
2: You're just <clears throat>
4: falling. And they tell you, like, hey, trust, just trust it. Um, let go. And I think a lot of us have a hard time letting go. We want to control. So guys, uh, you know, we'll have a hard time. And you can, I think the most you can do is five, five hits of it. And they're like, okay, that's, that's it. Um, I did three and, uh, yeah, I came out of that. I, I felt awesome. You how, just, how
3: long was that?
4: That only lasts like five minutes. Oh, no, five. Shit. Yeah. Anywhere between five to 10 minutes. Wow. And then, you know, you literally come out of it and they're like, do you want to take another hit? Like, did you get all, get all, get it all out? And, uh, you can choose to take another one or be like, no, I'm good. Um. But you know, most team guys are like
3: it's like drug blackjack. Like, yeah, no, I'll take yeah, another one. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me. Yeah, fuck, that's a trip, man. It man. is.
4: It's a. It's an experience. It's. It's awesome. I mean, and it's an alternative to what they're giving all these veterans when they yeah, get being out, on, on which is pretty much fucking antidepressants for the rest. of Yeah, they of your might life. as well just give them a gun and a bullet. And be Like here, when yeah. it's time, blow your brains out. Yeah, man, yeah, that's wild.
3: Do you foresee it for some people being addictive where they're like, dude, that experience was amazing, I want to just keep doing it over and over? Or is it so intense that it's...
4: Uh, I think they're I mean, there's... There's people that can, get addicted to everything. but Yeah, I mean, you can be addicted to everything. So I think it's a possibility. I mean, I've heard of guys uh, doing, you know, because ayahuasca is sort of a similar experience and guys just doing ayahuasca for a year straight. God um, damn. To like see what that does to them A full
3: um, reset. Yeah. I'm like, no. oh,
4: you, I'm good with that. But
3: I, I, yeah,
4: I mean, I don't think, no, I, I think it's very hard to be addicted to something like that uh, yeah. to take is like, it's definitely not a party drug. Yeah. Um, it is a full on, uh, intensive experience that I don't, you can't really function on it. Um, Would you say that
3: uh, after going through it, that it's mentally exhausting to go through? Oh, that?
4: for sure. I mean, we, the next day we went out the oceans right there. Um, and it was, it was really cool. There was, like I said, there was three other guys, all of us seals. And, uh, one of my, one of the guys there, good buddy. Um, we had to literally carry him out into the ocean. Uh, cause you are drained. Yeah. Um, fucking chili dip.
3: Yep. Sure, uh, <laughs> yeah. Go, go back, go to, back, the back the to our surf, roots. Huh? <laughs> That's wild, man. Uh, anything else that you want to share about it before we uh, move on?
4: Um, I just want to say, you know, I'm, I'm proud of Amber and
3: Marcus and the work that they're doing, yeah. uh,
4: and I hope that they can keep pushing forward and
3: expanding this treatment. Um, I, they're here in Dallas, aren't they? I believe so. Yeah. Should I? Maybe I should have them yeah. on talk about it. That's uh, yeah, that's wild, man. Uh, all right. Looking back, has there been any unforeseen benefits of your treatment by our government that you feel has changed you in a positive way?
4: Yeah. Um, for sure. You know, I, you know, I, I always say this, especially now that it's been, you know, three years later, um, I'm glad it happened. Like, I don't regret it happening. Um, it, it needed to happen. Um, it shined a light, I think on the problem and not only the UCMJ, um, but just a, a problem in our society nowadays, uh. You know our story really, like I said before, really resonates with what's going on in this country right now, um, which we I could not have foreseen obviously at the time, um, and you know I we wouldn't be able to be doing what we're doing now. Um, you know we we saw behind a curtain that we didn't know existed, and we saw all of the problems, and we're like and nobody was really doing anything about it. Um, so you know without going through all of that, we we wouldn't have the Pipe Hitter Foundation. We would not be able to help all these men and women that we've helped out in the past couple of years and then hopefully in the, in the coming future. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, you know, there's a yes. silver lining behind everything.
3: Yeah. The, uh, there's a, uh, a fable or a, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, about the Chinese farmer, the, where he says, maybe basically when somebody's mm-hmm. like, Oh, it's really awesome. He's like, yeah, maybe. And you know, and other circumstances like, Oh, it's terrible. Man, yeah, maybe, you know, and it goes through these like, At first, it seems good, but then it's bad, and vice versa. Type things that uh, that I think is pretty. pretty
4: I just heard that last week somewhere. Yeah, Uh,
3: Yeah. and it's like, you know, his son breaks his leg, and like, oh, it's terrible, and he's like, maybe, and then like the next day, the military comes through and takes all fighting age males, and you know, so anyway, I I can't fucking recite it, but uh, you know, it's a neat, uh, it's a neat adage that I think uh, you know is is for sure fitting, you know. But uh, this one, I'm not sure of. This isn't my question, um, but, it, you know, it's somebody asking about the, the Line series on Apple. Yes, uh, so says, documentary. Yeah, I'm curious if this was maybe manipulated or, or to get your take on it based on what the question is asking, but it says at the end of it, Eddie pretty he says, Eddie pretty much admits to stabbing the guy. After all the bullshit that happened during the trial, why even go there? As a former Marine who served, served in the shit country, I agree with everything he said and understand why he did it. Hell, I would have but still baiting people in the situation, even even after everything seems fucked. Sorry for how everything worked out. Strong arms, whatever the
2: fuck that means. But
1: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With firsthand hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained. Covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.
3: Do you do you disagree with that or what? Uh, yeah,
4: I, dude, I didn't admit to anything. So no. what people need to understand is this, man, like. Apple, doc, you know, Apple came to us and they were like, hey, we we're going to do uh, a pot. First, it was a podcast series, which they put out. Also called the line. Um, we were definitely like, nope, uh, right off the bat, because obviously it's Apple, and we knew it would be one-sided. Uh, but they kept sort of like calling us, badgering us, and we, we ended up talking to the two people that were going to be producing it, and they were pretty much like, hey, we're going to make this with or without you. Yeah. Uh, so at that point, we're like, all right, and fuck it. We're going to take part in this. Um, we talked to them. We're like, we just asked you you do your due diligence, and – what's being said on one side, check the facts on the other. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> in the midway of making that podcast, they, I think then came up with like, Oh, now we want to do a documentary. And I was like, okay, uh, sure. So during it's the same premise during the podcast and documentary, they kept asking me questions about the incident, um, about what happened that day. And all I said was, I was like, listen, bottom line, that dude was going to die regardless. He wasn't a prisoner. He also wasn't a uh, somebody that we were going to medevac. It was literally just an ISIS dude that we did medical procedures on until he passed. And what I said is everybody there was on board, like, knew that that was the issue. That was the plan. Yeah. That's it. So they... Obviously rearranged my answers yeah. uh, because they, they asked me that question. I don't know how many different ways. Yeah. And so when they, that podcast came out the end of that, I, you know, I saw what they did. They edited out and were like, Oh, he admitted to it. And I was like, no way did I admit like say anything like that. Yeah. And then when the documentary came out, they pulled the same bullshit at the end. And, uh, it's actually really funny. Cause I was watching the documentary and they're like, Oh, um, a lot has changed over the past since you've been out in the past couple of years, and I was like, "Oh yeah, a lot has changed." And what that was is they were talking about COVID because they had inter- <laughs> they had interviewed me before the pandemic, and that was their yeah. second time interview after, and they were like, "Oh dude, a lot has changed since we last saw you." Yeah. So they took that, you know, put it in there to make it look like I was admitting to something. I yeah. mean, you know, and I've I've been straight up honest with everybody. I'm like, I don't fucking care about that dude. I don't give a shit that he died. Yes, he was going to die regardless. And I don't know why we're making a big deal about this one piece of shit ISIS fighter. Yeah. Um but you know, they and you got to understand this too, like Apple, they have to do their due diligence as far as making it dramatic yeah. like a who done it type <laughs> of, you know, thing. But I was actually not too mad at the documentary. I mean, I thought, I thought it was well done. Um, it was entertaining. I think they, they could have done a lot worse on yeah. me if they wanted to, but I think they besides that BS, they pulled at the end with like, Oh, he admitted to it. Other than that, I think they did a good job of showing, you know, both sides. Cause, and you know, they did have the accusers, um, pretty much narrate the whole thing. And in the end, I'm like, dude, even if they're trying to make these accusers look, you know, like uh, brave and they're, you know, stand up seals, I'm like it doesn't come off that way. I'm like they look exactly like what I've been calling them the whole time. Yeah. A bunch of pussies, man. Like yeah. they are just weak and you know, that's that's the bottom line. I was like and I, I was, you know, my wife and I both and I really liked the fact I think it was like the third episode they uh I mean all they did was talk about my wife and brother and just how they crushed the Navy. Yeah. And I mean, they had the secretary of the Navy on the podcast literally say that my wife ran the strongest social media campaign ever. And that going against her was like going against Mike Tyson with their hands tied behind their back. Yeah. This is the secretary of the Navy saying yeah, this. And, that's fucking wild.
3: Yeah. I mean, to me, like m- my take on, on his involvement either way is inappropriate in my opinion. Oh, like, big time. He, he, he but shouldn't was, have a, a there stance. was so much
4: inappropriateness yeah. throughout my whole case. The yeah. amount of, I mean, I I believe me. There's stuff that is not even out there about certain congressmen who were trying to keep me in prison, um, which I think people would be surprised at. And it's it got so in depth um, that you know, it, it like I said, it was political at that point. Yes. There was no, it did not, ma- it wasn't about the ISIS fighter. It wasn't about whether I did it or didn't do it. It was now like a political movement to. We, one side was like, we need to hammer this dude because Trump got involved. And then the other side was standing up for us. Like we should not be uh, persecuting our war fighters like this. Yeah.
3: Fucking political pawn crap is uh, is terrible. Yeah. I mean that, (laughs) that, uh, that line series, uh, they interviewed me for that. Uh, and it was like a two, two hour fucking discussion, you know, and they used like three sentences or or a very short, short amount of it. And similarly, I was like, All the fucking questions you asked me and then the same thing, they asked me a lot of the same shit, different ways and whatever. And, uh, and then what they used versus what we talked about was, was a little squirrely that way too, you know? But, uh, so I, I certainly see, see that element of it. Um, can you guys go over your workout routines that you both do? You You want to, you want to leave that one off? Okay. Uh, I mean, I I eat pizza and fucking (laughs) sleep.
4: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I keep it pretty consistent. Um, I usually get up, you know, I'm not a early riser. I'm not a late riser. I get up when I get up. Like if I don't have to wake up or something, I'm going to sleep. Yeah. Um, but I make sure every morning, you know, I usually do a six mile run. Um, and then every fucking morning you run, uh, yeah, six to eight. Or I, you know, I'll take a day off, um, one day off a week just to let my legs rest. But, uh, and then I also do, like, some type of kettlebell routine, pull-ups. But, you know, I have a little workout program that uh, I haven't changed. It's It's been working. But, yeah, I, I, I usually work out for two hours a day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh,
3: body-wise, is the run, uh, I mean, obviously, you can still do it. Uh, no big knee or joint issues with running? No,
4: uh, which, thank God, you know, knock on wood. But um, I've been pretty blessed with, you know, minimal injuries. I mean I do have, you know, the rest of us, you know, the herniated discs and all that with the back, but I also, now that I'm out, pamper myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I go to a chiropractor, um, this really awesome thirty A chiropractic where we live. They the guy over there, you know, maybe once a week I'll go or once every two weeks, he'll just straighten me out. And I've I've had like no issues so far. And his wife also does um deep tissue massages. So I'll get one there, you know, usually, especially if I'm traveling, um, that's when I really am hurting, uh, like last night coming in, I was traveling all day and I was just like stiff. Um, so I had to really get up early this morning and sort of loosen up a little bit and work out and then I, I feel better.
3: Yeah. Um, the, uh, from the, I guess I'm still fascinated by the fact that you run six fucking miles every morning. Um, is there any other cardio stuff that you do in, in place of that sometimes?
4: Yeah. Uh, I have a, you know, a bag in my garage, so I'll do, uh, a routine where I'm, you know, heavy yeah. bag routine that, um, I thought there's one on YouTube that I follow. That's really good. Um, and then, you know, there's other things like inter uh, intervals. Um, you know, I'll, I'll do workouts where, you know, I might just run like a quarter mile in between sets of pull-ups and this and that um just sort of give my legs a rest but running is pretty much it i don't have a pool near me or else i would go swim yeah. um i think that's that's awesome for your body yeah um, i just don't have it yeah and uh you know i'd like to get into jujitsu which there's not one near me either uh, so hopefully in the near future somebody open up a gym
3: yeah fucking hey yeah yeah i i do uh yeah, so I'll, I usually roll two or three times a week. Um, and then I uh, get some programming from some uh, which it's a husband and wife couple out in Utah that, uh, has been doing, uh, doing the lifting uh, a few days a week also that they do uh, a great job with that. But, uh, th- but that's really it. I mean, I stay active with the dogs and, and, you know, there's weeks where I don't, don't do a whole lot. There's some weeks where I stay busy. Um, you know, I I just kinda take it take it as is and I try to be careful with everything. Like I don't go super hard in, in any Yep. In any fashion. I, I don't roll super hard. I don't lift super heavy or hard. Um I just I try to keep keep active and, and stay at it that way. But
4: Yeah, it's a longevity. That's the one thing I've definitely changed in my workouts through the yeah. years is now I'm like I don't try and lift you know, deadlift three hundred something pounds anymore. Yeah. I'm like, dude, there's no need for it. At least it. not one-handed anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, with just my pinky. Now yeah. I just use uh, two fingers. But it's yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm I don't want to hurt myself because yeah. I want to be able to keep working out. Yeah. Um, and then, have you? Do you do uh, infrared sauna at all?
3: I have. Uh, I would not say that I do it regularly, but that was made a big, made a big difference.
4: Really? Yeah, I started. My wife Andrea goes to this gym that has one, and so I I was going there. And doing that for 30 minutes a day. Like um, every day, huh? Yeah. I mean, I like any team guy, I definitely overdid it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, if going. it's good, it's really yeah. good. More is better. But I did notice a difference like in my the way my body felt. I was yeah. sleeping good at night. Um, so That's good
3: stuff. Um, there, there was two questions on the uh, the wokeness or leftness uh, of the military. And, and one is just saying how left. Has the military become? And one is asking how how woke has the military spilled over into the seals programming? Uh, if so, does it weaken a, a premier fighting force? If it does leak in that way, yes, it absolutely does. But I've been out for a long time. I mean, even you've been out for three years. Uh, for with the people that you keep in touch with that you um, that you worked with that are still in, has there been a a big shift that way from what you've heard?
4: Yeah, from what I've heard, um, and it's you know. And I tell people this, it's when people are like, oh, the military is going woke. The military is not going woke. The men and women that sign up for the military are not woke. The military leadership is pushing that agenda on them constantly. Yeah. These are our top military leaders, uh, General Milley, you know, Austin, all them. That It's coming down from them because they want to push whatever political agenda is going to get them promoted. Um, yeah. So yeah, my, I talked to the guys and the teams that, you know, they're getting classes on whatever how bad it is to be white, you know, whatever that crap is. Um, but I'll tell you what, the guys are not, they're like, this is bullshit. It's just like the, you know, 10 years ago when they were giving us, uh, you know, we had to take the online classes on, um, you know, sexual assault and, don't rape don't do that which is like you know, this is i really have to take a class to tell me not to rape somebody uh but you just do it and you're like all right get this over with and i think that's the way guys are treating this woke agenda that's pretty you yeah. know, coming down they're like dude if this is gonna and this is the mindset i had when i was in like if i have to do this to go overseas to fight then fine like yeah. i'll take this stupid course uh but i do think that it's it is an issue. Um, I definitely think our our military leadership is compromised, especially in NSW. Um, we've become way too political. Um, the decisions that are made at the top uh, are done not for the betterment of the men and women serving below them, but for the betterment of themselves to get them promoted. And I think we've seen that across the board.
3: Yeah. As um, Speaking of which, I guess on the NCIS side and the accuser side, has there been any repercussions for either, any of them?
4: No, uh, not at all. <clears throat> um, that's, that's the other, I mean, there's no been no accountability um, and there won't be, uh, you know, they, they refuse. That's the one thing. The military is not going to say like we messed up. Uh, no. well, I think we've seen that with the Afghan withdrawal. I'm like, if you can't, if you can't say you messed up there, then.
3: <laughs> well, what, what's interesting? I mean, there's an army after action that is pretty accountable that way. That Biden basically dismissed here in, in the last couple of days. You know, he's basically saying no, that I, I'm rejecting their fucking assessment of how things went.
4: Well, good. You know? I hope so. I hope somebody is like but, with a uniform on, saying something. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what really resonated when Stu Scheller came out in uniform and was like, "Hey, man." what the fuck <laughs> like, yeah. we all just watched this like yeah. where is the fucking accountability and that's that's what's so surprising and how arrogant and elitist the leadership is um, and that's you know in all branches you know when these officers make it up to a certain rank they they already have you know especially in the navy they have this elitist attitude um, i think they're you know taught at Annapolis that you know they're officers and they're they're high and mighty above us but the more they pick up rank that that eliteness comes greater and greater until the point where i mean we watched we watched the uh withdrawal on tv there was yeah. no like fake anything about it there's no editing it's like nope th- those are people falling from the planes yep like we lost marines and then oh by the way we droned and struck like 13 civilians and you see these you know military leaders on tv and i'm like okay they, they're gonna have to answer this and they're like it was a victory yeah it was a, and i'm like, dude, their it's their uh, arrogance knows no bounds.
3: Yeah, well, agreed. And, and to me, the the most painful part of all of that is is how accountability driven those guys are when it's below them. Oh yeah. You know, but when it's them, it's just not even part of the fucking deal. Heaven forbid.
4: You know? Yeah, you you lose a pistol. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's, you're, you're uh, going
3: down. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna set set an example and make sure everybody knows that we we hold our guys accountable when it's. Uh, underneath us. And I
4: think, and I honestly, I think that's going to, that's a problem too within what I'm talking to guys in our community is they know that now to where they know, like these leaders are not holding themselves accountable and that it's more of a rules for thee but not for me. And if you, if they continue to go down this path, I really think there's going to be a divide that's even greater than it is right now within the troops and the leadership. And there's going to be no trust there. And that is going to really, be a breakdown because yeah. once you lose trust then you're not you know half half the reason we went overseas to do our job is because i had trust in the leadership i had trust in the government to yeah. like hey they're going to take care of us if something happens
3: yeah well you know one of the things i talk about in uh in that book on fuck america is is having your own personal constitution and, and thinking about it um you know and i'm curious there, there has to be a point in the united states military with the the sled dogs the troops the guys actually getting their hands dirty a, a red line what i'm curious of is is where is that like th- there has to be a point at which they're going to say no we're not, we're not fucking doing that whether it's covid stuff or yeah social experiments or, or whatever like there there has to be a point at which they're going to push back and say not in, not any fucking more you know, or uh, or not up in here, as Rob Ruggel yeah. would say. <laughs> you know, not up in here. Uh, you know, so I'm I'm curious if if that's something that is talked about. If I you mean, guys I think, think we, about
4: it. we've I mean, seen that since the mandates come came out. Um, I think there are groups of people that were standing up, like I'm not taking this. Um, but here's the problem: when you're in the military, is it's so easy for them to drive fear into you, like okay. And we we were helping, we were trying to help people because we got reached out a butt ton about the mandates, like, hey, can your foundation do anything? And we did. We did our due diligence of trying to help people navigate through that system. And, you know, we actually put out a video uh, with our lawyers, like, explaining, like, hey, here is your uh, avenues that you can take, Um, you know, especially with the exemptions, this and this. But the problem is the military wasn't listening to any of those exemptions. And I had officers in NSW call me that were like, hey, I'm refusing to take this and I was literally told by my CEO face-to-face, if you don't take this, then we're going to ruin you and your family, and you're, this is going to be your fault. Yeah. Um, so that they have that fear over these guys. So it's like either do you want us to take a stand on this mandate or do you want to ruin your career and your family, yeah. um, which um, most people are like, well, I've got to take care of my family.
3: Um, yeah, it's fucking terrible. But
4: I do think that that, that is a line – um, a, a bigger one than the past ones where people are standing up and being like, this is, yeah. this is not what I signed up for, especially and you, you know, if you're joining the military now, yeah. Like obviously, you know, what there's your, a vaccine mandate yeah. and you're going to, but for guys that are in 18, 19 years and they're being told like, Hey, if you don't take this, it's like your past 18, 19 years didn't matter. Yeah. That's bullshit.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the one thing I will say, I remember like anthrax and yeah. smallpox and, and all that shit, you know, that, uh, that I, I took, I, I actually did not take the smallpox. I got out of it with a, a feather, uh, I think it was a, fe- a feather allergy that I had when I came in or it was in my record or some weird shit that they're like, no, you're, you're exempt from getting the smallpox or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I've had, you know, some parents reach out to me and their kids are, you know, had had some guidance or interaction with me before they went in and they made it through and they're you know early on in the teams or whatever and they're like you know hey our, our son is being told he has to take it is there anything we can do and it's like unfortunately not really you know i mean like to your point i you know the the, the reality of joining the military is it's voluntary and so when you volunteer to do it you're also signing your your life and your body over to uncle sam for four years Uh, and if you're not okay with doing that, then don't sign up, you know, and, and that may surprise some people, but I took a bunch of vaccines that I didn't want, you know, because that's just kind of part of the fucking deal. Like if you don't want to have to take that, don't, don't sign up for it, you know, which sucks. Uh, it does suck to
4: say that I think, and I, I have that same, you know, obviously the same thought process. Cause I mean, when I, I took the anthrax vaccine, I got two and a half series of that, Yeah, which is. Yeah, I mean, stupid. I'd kill but a fucking racehorse. I was young. I was 19, 20 at the time. I didn't I was like, yep, whatever you want to get, and especially when you go to boot camp. yes yeah. you really don't know what you're getting job Yeah, with. But this is what I tell people because I have heard that argument. They're like, well, you took a bunch of vaccines like this and that." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's true. Um I was like I also used to shit my my diapers when I was little, and, <laughs> But guess what? Like I live in I I grew up and I learned and yeah. That's where I think we're at as a country right now, too, where there is so much info that everybody is privy to now. So they can see that this vaccine doesn't, like, wor- it's not going to keep you from getting COVID. It's not going to keep you from spreading it. Um, and it's also not proven to be healthy for you either. I mean, there's yeah. all these cases of people dying from it. So I think for them to mandate it and be like, oh, no, you're taking this regardless – there is an issue there. Um, yeah. And I think the military doesn't know how to handle that now, it's, but they don't know how to handle social media. They don't know how to handle all this information that's being put out to all the troops constantly yeah. because before any, you know, when we were in like before all iPhones and all that came out, you had whatever this, the CO or OIC come out and be like, boom, 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 put out this information. And you were like, all right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I mean, it's,
3: it's that, or you're getting kicked the fuck out. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that, that is the one thing, even with the guys that, you know, at our 18, 19 years, like, does that suck? Yeah, it does. Um, but to me, like, if I was in that position and I felt strongly enough, like, I'd say, okay, kick me out then, you know, and does it suck to not get my retirement? Yeah, it does. But if, if it's worth it to you. Yeah, if that's the hill you're you going to die then, on. Yeah, then, then that's what you're going to have to do because when you, when you sign up, like, you – sign your fucking life over to them, you know, and, uh, and that's just unfortunately how it works. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, that it's, it's such a different time now with, uh, with the internet and social media and, and, uh, technology just being the way that it is. We're so, so inundated with it that, uh, fuck, I'm glad I'm not in honestly. Oh, same here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which kind of leads to the next question. If you were to do it all over again and you could not be a seal, what would you have done with your life?
4: if I could do it all over again by like go in the military and not be a seal or just, it,
3: or just not even go in the military. Oh, like, shit. you know, what would you have done?
4: <laughs> uh, I mean, the way I was when I joined, I can pretty much say that I would have ended up in prison. Uh, <laughs> that's just where I was at in my life. Um, but you know, if I had, uh, to do it all over again and not join the military, um, I probably, I don't know, I always wanted to be like a marine biologist or like a diver of some yeah. sort, you know, scuba diver, because I just grew my dad was a scuba diving nut, so I grew up scuba Doing diving that. like crazy, but that's, you know. Yeah. It's hard for me to say because I, I, all I wanted to do was be a SEAL. Yeah. Um, that's, that was my calling. And Yep.
3: No, I, I was asked that same question on the q and A I I did last week, and I was like, fuck, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I Have no idea. Um, what's the number one thing you want your kids to real, realize about you once they are adults? That's a good question.
4: That is that. That's a that's a really good question. Um, that uh, you know that my wife and I, that we were we tried to be the best parents we could. Uh, we tried to raise them right with the right values, um, and that. You know, I love them no matter what they do, uh, but also that I want my kids to, I hope my kids can see that their parents um, stand up for what they believe in um, and that they don't back down. Um, and that, you know, if you uh, don't stand up for what you believe in, then you'll fall for anything. Yeah. Uh, so I hope that they're really taking that on and watching us um, doing what we you know, are doing now. Uh, but, you know, the most important thing is they just well, I want my kids to always feel loved uh, constantly. Yeah. They can do no wrong in my eyes. Yeah. I mean,
3: yeah. No, I, I think uh, those are all good uh, good attributes to uh, to want out of them as they get older. And uh, obviously to uh,
4: lean on their faith. Yeah.
3: How, uh, how many kids do you have? Four?
4: I have three. Three. Yeah. <clears throat>
3: um, what do you think about uh, what is happening in Canada and could it occur here? Would the police and military comply with similar orders?
4: Uh, I think what's happening in Canada is, you know, they brought that upon themselves. I think whatever Trudeau, Trudeau whatever he, however you want to say his name, uh, he's a little pissant tyrant. Um, <laughs> there's no other way to put it. And yeah. I think uh, he's getting exactly what he asked for. I mean, these truckers and everybody else, they're, they've had it. And I do think that that could happen here. Um you know, it's, it's a protest. It's a literal protest that these people are doing. Yeah. Are they sticking with it? Yes. Um, Because they're fed up. And I do think if they just the way, the way that our country is now and that the way they label people. So like, I think if people did that here, they would label them as extremists and terrorists right off the bat that this administration would. Um, To me,
3: the, the big question with that is would the police and military comply
4: It's a tough question. I think there's, uh, I mean, the police and military have complied the past two years with everything that's been going on. Um, So where does that compliance end?
3: Yeah. To me, that's a surprising thing because in in thinking, I mean, I interact with quite a few police departments and, you know, all of my time in in the service, like, to me, it's baffling. You know, like, I, I would never have thought, that there would be cops arresting people for not wearing masks. And, yeah. you know, and and uh, I mean, I haven't seen the military, I guess, do anything. But I, I can't fathom, you know, if there was some crazy-ass martial law, you know, order dictated or mandated that that our military would, would actually follow through with some of that stuff, you know. Um,
4: you know, the the most dangerous words I hear from people like, when you're, when you talk about this, it's like, Hey, I'm just doing what I'm told. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just following orders. It's well, guess what? And that this is an extreme, uh, comparison, but you think that in Nazi Germany, every person that was going to get, you know, the Jewish people out, take them to concentration camp, agree with what they were doing. No, they were just following orders too. Um, so where, at what point do you become defiant and stand up and be like, Hey, I don't fucking agree with this. I'm not going to do it. And then that's that was my point, uh, you know, earlier on. Like, it's going to take everybody to stand up and be defiant, you know, and be like, this is bullshit, what's going on, and especially our law enforcement and military. I mean, those, you know, are the two people that can take over or actually do things in this country, um, negative or positive, So I would say, you know, these law enforcement, and I think there is, uh, you know, law enforcement groups that are like not following the mandates and they're like, we're not doing this. Um, So it it all comes down to leadership. It's like whoever's in charge, if they're not bought off and they are actually like wanting to stand up and do something, then they should. They should pass that same thought process down to the people that work below them.
3: Yeah. Uh, Amen. Uh, What's your favorite war book? War book? Yeah.
4: I really liked, um, uh, which one did I read? The, it's called Red Cell or Red Platoon, um, about, uh, they made a movie about it, uh, about the dude that won the Medal of Honor. Um, I, I should, I had his name. I can't remember it right now. Um, he, he won, it was about that fob that got, uh, pretty much almost taken over by the Taliban. I'm, I'm, have you heard of that movie? Um,
3: do you know what the name of the movie is?
4: It is Clint Eastwood's sons in it. Um,
3: oh, um, I mean, it sounds familiar. I can't think of. Uh, but the, I mean, that
4: book. So the guy who won the Medal of Honor wrote it. Uh, Romeshaw, Romeshaw, oh,
3: Clint Romishaw, uh, Cl- Romeshaw. Rame- yeah. yeah,
4: I really like the way he wrote the book, and he wasn't. It wasn't like a uh, like a lot of military books that come out with. You know, it's all propaganda. Like, oh, we all serve with honor and distinction, and everything. You know, we're saints. It's like, no, this guy wrote it for exactly how it was. He called out dudes that were in that fight that were cowards. You know, he was like, this person. I think that it's it's real, yeah. and I I like the way that he wrote it. Um, it was raw, and uh, so that that's definitely one of my favorite ones. Um, yeah,
3: but uh, I think he's from Iowa too, if my memory serves me correct. But uh... That's, uh, I'd love to have him on the show, actually. Oh, yeah.
4: He, he so, seems like a really legit yeah. dude. You know,
3: I'm curious. I mean, he's probably been asked about that thing, you know, that that firefight or, or operation, that uh, the circumstances with within the covers of that book. I'm, I'm curious. Like, he's got to be tired of talking about it. Are you at the point where you're kind of tired of being interviewed and asked about your ordeal and everything?
4: Yeah, I mean, not, not like... T- I get tired of like going through the story um, because I'm like, hey man, it's I got the the books there, but I think because it links to our found why we started the foundation, I have no real problem. Like, hey man, like this happened and this is why we started the foundation and this is what we did to, you know, win. Um, If it can be used as a tool for good and to motivate people, um, then I'm fine, fine with that. But yeah, yeah, it, it does get like. It depends on who you're talking to, man. Yeah. You
3: know, I'm wearing your ass out. I'm sure, right? No, dude, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think with with the parallels that it, that exist to what's continuing to happen, it's it's still super relevant and important that that you do talk about it. You know, but,
4: yeah. And I think that's what I was saying earlier. Like, I can't believe how much that story resonates to what's with what's going on still, right now. Yeah. Yep.
3: Uh, I think this is a great question. Uh, what do you think you would have done after getting out if all of the shenanigans and the th- and what you went through had not have, have happened? Like if none of that would have happened, would you have, I wouldn't have got out. it would still be in? I'd you? still be in. I
4: yeah. was, bro, I was a lifer, man. Yeah. It like was 30 years. Uh, yeah.
3: 30 if you like it, 20 if you don't, right? Yeah,
4: I mean, I had no <laughs> intention of getting out um, until all that took place. And even while that was taking place and I – Made the decision like, okay, I'm not going to stay in the SEAL teams. I was going right to what everybody else, a lot of people do, is contracting with, uh, you know, either ground branch. Um, I was already in the process of going that way. Um, that's and that's the thing. It, that's the easy road. You yeah. know, like I. That's all I knew. I was like, I just want to keep deploying. That I'm good at this job, um, but I'm also. That's another blessing of having this happen. Is it showed me. Like, hey man, like you don't have to keep doing this the rest of your life. Like, this is what matters, your family. Um, it really brought me back. My wife always jokes; she's like, you know, you literally had to be locked in a cell to
3: wake Get up. Get out of the navy. Yeah, <laughs> to be like,
4: this isn't the end all, be all.
3: Yeah, that's a, that's the truth. <laughs> um, is there anything that you would have done differently? If you had to go through that all over again, uh, and are you still? This says copping pushback from your former command and friends. I salute you from Australia. Thank you for the support, Brad from Australia.
4: Uh different. Well, differently, as in. Yeah, I, I mean, guess I he's did. talking about like through the whole. Scenario. Yeah, I mean, to
3: me, I, I would extend that to both. Uh, you know, looking looking back, even prior to going through it, would you have done anything different? to avoid that, uh, and, or going through it, would you have done anything different?
4: No, I, I think, well, I, I've, you know, and I put that in the book too, like there obviously as a leader, you're, you're always going to do your own little after action report and be like, Hey man, I could have done this and this differently as a leader. And that's, you know, there are certain things that I could have done better as the uh, platoon chief. Um, I definitely was, uh, not empathetic at all. Um, I was, you know, Hardened, I think, after doing multiple combat deployments, I just didn't, I didn't have it in me to, like, if guys were like, oh, I don't, you know, complain about little bullshit, I was like, dude, shut up, like, nobody wants to hear it, um, which is not the right answer. I think, I think there's a fine line.
3: It, to me, that's tough, and not to interrupt, but I think, you know, in that line of work, I, I think that there's an element of. Stop fucking whining. That that needs yeah. to take place for for guys in that position to to be good at what they do is, is to not sweat the small stuff that yeah. way. You know, and that's
4: what's what I you mean, expect out of guys. Yeah, um, I mean, but I'll tell you this, man. Like with this group that I had, it wasn't like that. So around.
3: times have changed. I mean, is that is that more the norm now? You think?
4: I don't think so. I think just I just lucky. had a very uh, special group of dudes. I mean, and the yeah. rest of the platoon was awesome. Yeah. Um, it was like these older guys, but. <clears throat> And, you know, I, I say this like, oh, I, I could have been a little more empathetic, but at the same time, you could throw me back in that same position right now and I'd probably revert right back to like, nope, this is fucking how it is because that's how I was raised, all, you know, in my in the teams. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason for that. There's no, you know, there's no time for uh, hurt feelings and like, oh, let's talk, let's hash this out, you hurt it's like dude be a man like yeah. come no, on I, dude um i agree you know and obviously <laughs> yeah i wouldn't have taken that picture uh just because of the problems it caused not that like i'm like mortified by it i just like dude if,
3: if like looking back on it wasn't worth it <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> nine months in prison no yeah.
3: uh, that wasn't worth it huh yeah <laughs> but i mean what's what's to me crazy about that, whether it's Vietnam or like world war two or, you know, any of the other engagements that this country has been through where cameras have played a role in it, you know, like that was beyond commonplace. And I, I don't, I'm I'm not advocating for desecrating corpses and and things. I think that there's a, a sense of, of decency that, that can go a long way with stuff like that. But I also, um, you know, try, try to, to balance that perspective with what, what is actually taking place too. You know, yeah. it's like, so it's okay to, to put a fucking canoe in a guy's forehead. Just don't take a picture of it. You know, it's like, yeah, exactly. well, how fucking dumb is that? You know, I mean, it's like the, the things that that are taking place are, are taking place and, and you know, that's fine. But Just don't take a picture. Like, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, I don't know. It
4: never does. And, like, the the fact that they were, like, you know, harping on the picture and they're like, oh, you disgraced the Navy and this and that. I'm like, dude, you guys literally are the ones who shot the hellfire into the building. You didn't know how many people were in there. You don't know how many civilians were in there. You did it anyways because that's acceptable.
3: Right, well— but, but then, then, yeah, I mean, the the thirteen civilians in Afghanistan. Exactly. Who, who's gotten in trouble for that? Not a fucking damn nobody. Person. You know. So like, you're you're gonna fry E sixes, E 7s E five, whatever. You're, you're gonna fry the guys that are actually putting their ass on the line for taking a picture of something. But a, a dude can can authorize a fucking drone strike that kills thirteen fucking kids and a. In a and a uh, a fucking social or welfare refugee worker, and nobody gets in trouble for that.
4: And that, I mean that happened on my deployment as well. So like at the end, um, one of my this and this is actually so funny, man. Like it's also crazy at the same time. Like Josh Brins, one of the accusers, is actually the only person on that deployment who killed civilians. He literally went out made up some story that some guy, some ISIS dude, was taking a shot at him from a 1,000 meters away, um, which is complete horseshit, and then told the J.O. at the time, like, hey, launch a switchblade, which is a remote-controlled little plane that has a little bomb on it. Um, And they flew it in and killed, I believe, five individuals, two kids, um, not one ISIS fighter. And I wasn't out there. That was a one-op I didn't go on. It was near the end of deployment. Um, they came back, and that was, you know, it was investigated and swept under the rug. Like, hey, it was a mistake, which I'm fine with. Like, mistakes happen, man. Like, that shit happens. War's not perfect. But what's funny to me is, I think, to hear, like, this, you know, friends get on the stand, and, oh, I was so distraught by this ISIS dude. And I, I really think he was dealing with his own issues from killing those civilians. And instead of dealing, he just put it on me. He was like, this is your fault that this happened. Um, But it's the level of hypocrisy that happens in the military too is, is a problem. Yeah. It's staggering. Yeah.
3: No doubt about it. Uh, Have any of those guys reached out to you since then? Uh,
4: Yeah. Well, I've had um, a couple people reach out to me that, um, have either apologized, uh, and not not from that group of accusers, but just other individuals that were in leadership positions at the time that you know didn't really do what they the right thing, or they were voicing their the command's opinion um, on social media, and so they those people have reached out and apologized, and I have that's water under the bridge. They're like, "Hey, I'm sorry." I'm like, "We're good. I mean, that's fine with me." Um, I've also had individuals reach out, um, that were in my book and they're like, Hey, can we, can I talk to you and we can have like a sit down? I'm like, yeah. I was like, Oh, I'm willing to hear you out. Like team guy, to team guy. And then we can resolve this. But I was like, your name. Is not it's not coming out of the book like this happened and then they're like well then fuck it and they hang up and I'm like yeah all right now I know what, I know where your true character's at like you don't feel sorry for what you did you, yeah, you just, just don't didn't want really to like, get embarrassed yeah you just didn't want so like, there's uh, both we, I have both those ends um, you know I still talk to some a lot of guys in my that platoon um, that were not involved uh, so you know the one uh, I did get a phone call from one of my buddies on the east coast that. Dalton Tolbert, who is still at Dev Group, I guess, came up to him and was like, hey, tell Eddie that I'm really glad everything worked out. And this, you know, after this guy was trying to put me away for life, and I was like, hey, man, tell him to call me himself, you know, and let's be a man about it, dude. Don't yeah. do this to a third party. But either way, I've, you know, I've moved on from that. Uh, you know, there's, there's certain individuals where they know who they are. Um, I let them know. I'm like, dude, if I see you. I'm going to knock your teeth out. Like, that's that's it. Um, because there's certain things that were done, which I can't look past, especially when you put my family in harm's way. Uh, so there's that, but I'm not, you know, going after those individuals. I'm just like, dude, if it, if it happens, it happens. Yeah.
3: Some wild shit, no doubt about it. Um, I, I'm I'm curious, going back to the, uh, the Ibogaine thing, do you think that there's a, because this all just kind of made me think of post- post-deployment decompression mm-hmm. uh, you know and, and how I know that it's better now than it was 20 years ago but it's still woefully inadequate yeah do you think that 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 would play a role like could you see where doing that after deployment would be a a practice that makes sense
4: I mean that's a pretty intensive post-deployment treatment I I, I don't think that's a good idea yeah. I don't think guys would be ready for it um i think there's other options for like post deployment stuff you know what they have in i don't know if they still have it in place but you know the what they came out with about 10 15 years ago was you know the trip to germany uh for four days but even that was such a joke it was because i remember when they first started doing that you know they flew us from afghanistan to germany and they're like okay this is where it's like Go talk to the psych, do this, and then go drink, go drink, go drink. Like, just get fucked up that way. <laughs> go to the red
3: light district.
4: I mean, it's yeah, <laughs> it's pretty much like get it out of your system before you go home. And yeah, it's dumb. That's their check in the box. Like, hey, yeah. so if they go home and beat their wife or do something, they can be like, we gave them some downtime in Germany, which is complete bullshit. I think that there needs to be maybe a, you know definitely more done. Um, I I don't think there's you can't have a hundred percent control measures on combat and what you see at combat, you know, when you, after, when you come back, I think it's going to be up on the individual to have to deal with some of the stuff himself. Uh, I mean, my wife and I went through roller coasters after each deployment until I think like the fifth or sixth deployment we really got on track to like, okay, this is what to expect when I come back, you know, and also what to expect from her. Uh, and it takes about a, I would say it takes about a month and a half to really come down. Yeah. After a deployment. Uh,
3: so, a, a Secretary of the Navy Gallagher, what would you uh, what would you do?
4: <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, yeah, first, would you, right off the bat, I'd fire every officer that's you know, yeah, an admiral right now. Uh, I mean, I guess
3: from a from a post deployment yeah, standpoint, but
4: I think um, I'd make it man. Well, I'd make it mandatory. So when they came back, uh, I I'd give I I'd give them their leave first. Um, but I think the one thing I would do is I'd bring in the wives and be like, Hey, what's going on? Because the husband, like, as you know, you come in and no, I'm good, good man. Yeah. I'm good. Everything's good. My family's good. The job will suffer last. So I think bring the wife in and just have an open, open, honest conversation. Like what is, what is he, you know, dealing with, but also do that with no repercussions. To the individual like yeah. hey man okay this is and then have sort of like a treatment a la carte uh like hey go try this um before you start your next psych or workup
2: yeah yeah
3: uh i'm curious if you let's say none of this would have happened and you were in would you have taken the vaccine to uh yeah. to, to stay in, you would have mm-hmm. it. yeah
0: yeah i'm nick the host of the ufo chronicles podcast with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.
4: I mean, that's... It would have been no question. that's... I mean, at that point I'm like, dude, I'd, I'll do anything for this community. So if this is going to keep me operating. Then I'll yeah. do it. Um, and then also with, if, especially if they're threatening, taking away, you know, <laughs> your whole service, I, I, you know, I can be honest and say I'd, I probably would have taken it. Yeah. Um, not to say I, I don't agree with it one bit, yeah. but that's just the mindset that I'd be in.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. You heard about the uh, trainee that died at Bud's mm. here fairly recently. Have you heard any, any other circumstances from any of your contacts about what happened?
4: No, so we we had a pretty reliable source right after that happened reach out to us, and we're like, hey, man, like, it's, he had a heart, can like, something happened with his heart. It was after Hell Week. Um, they were like, we don't know what it is. Um, and then there was another individual had the same, same type of, uh, um, symptoms, and obviously he survived, um, but, you know, we were like, okay, and we actually posted about it, we're like, hey, this happened, and there's no mention in the article of whether he was vaccinated or this and that, and I get it, like, we got some, you know, I had some guys call me, like, hey, dude, like, don't, that's wrong to be, you know, using this as a whatever, and I get that, and I'm like, you're right. But at the same time, like if we're just gonna sit here and ignore, like the fact that it could be the vaccine, I'm like, then that's, that's that's equally part fucked of the up. Yeah. yeah, it's equally fucked up. Yeah. I mean, they're still investigating it.
3: Um, you know, to me, it's it's happened, You know, it happens. Feels like every few years.
4: Yeah. There's deaths. You know,
3: there, there's somebody that dies in training or what have you. And in every instance, there's always a definitive. This is what happened not long afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, and they talk about it, and, you know, here's mitigation protocols that, you know, like you can't mitigate uh, accidents out, out entirely, obviously, but it seems awful fucking quiet. Like, the, the, yeah, you know, nobody's brought anything up, and nobody's talking about it, and it just seems kind of strange to me. Like, again, I'm not going to jump to conclusions and and accuse or, or, you know, pretend like I have some information that I don't, but I am curious as to what the fuck happened because it's not like he drowned or...
4: No, it was after, you helping. know, had a, an
3: embolism or, or, you know, or a fucking aneurysm or, or whatever that, that you can pinpoint and be like, yeah, he died and this is what happened. And you know, investigation's over. There hasn't been any fucking, uh, yeah. information. you know, and, I, you know, and
4: I was a first phase instructor for a couple years. So I, it was hard for me to, I'm like, Dude, you know, and what people got to understand is we mitigate risk as much as possible when we're, we're putting on that training. I mean, we, we are constantly watching those students. We're not just like leaving them in the water for hours on. Yeah. Like we pull them out, we check on them. If we, te- we take their temperatures constantly, if they're, you know, below whatever, we warm them up, put them back in. Um, to have two deaths like that, just like they were done with hell week and then they just dropped, you know, or went to the hospital and one of them died and, uh, you know, thankfully the other one has survived. It's a little odd. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'm hoping and, and not, you know, Take the vaccine out of it. The amount of scrutiny that is coming down on this incident, because, like you said, this has happened in the past. But I think because of the jab and everything else, it's more—it's getting looked at, or you know, more news outlets are putting it out. And my only thing—I hope—I really hope that NSW does not like bend the knee in some way and start lowering standards, um, because that's not going to be good for anybody. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, I, c- I couldn't agree more. I'd, I just hope that uh, there's a definitive, hey, this is what happened. Because, you know, similarly, like, I mean, I was in for 12 and a half, and, and uh, you know, since I've been out, you know, there's, and, and even before hearing about, you know, accidents where uh, people were killed in training, there there's never been a time that I can recollect where somebody died, and, and it wasn't almost immediate that, yeah. like, you knew why they died. You know, it's like, oh, he had a shallow water blackout, or he, Ingested fucking seawater and got pneumonia and it killed him, or you I mean whatever it is, is that there there was always something that you could pinpoint and say this is the cause of death fairly fucking quick.
4: Especially with something like sype uh, yeah. which is what that's what I was being told was oh, sype It was sype and I'm like, well, then why aren't they saying it was SIP? Like yeah. That's a pretty easy, you know, thing yeah. to come out and be like, this is what it was. And I'll tell you this, like, I don't have much faith in. The investigatory process, either. Like, I, yeah. I don't if even, yeah, <laughs> like I think they'll just sweep yeah. that under the rug and yeah. be like, you know, keep moving on.
3: Yeah. It was Carry this. on. that's crazy, man. Uh, is there anything that you want to talk about or add uh, to the discussion? Um, you know,
4: I, I mean, I'm glad that you know we got to talk about the foundation, that's that's really the, the main focus of what we're doing. Um, you know, just uh, I want to put out. My two bosses gave me some talking points. I got, <laughs>
3: yeah, I can uh, smoke, them, <laughs> smoke them if you got them.
4: Yeah, you know, just, you know, over the past, uh, since we've opened, uh, we're, we're running, you know, we've provided more than $2.8 million in assistance and emergency yeah. phase to individuals, um, which that's is incredible, you know, for as small as a group we are, that's pretty unheard of. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're, we're going to keep going in that fashion. And then, you know, we've. We've partnered up. We, we, our big thing is partnering up with people that um, other foundations that we we trust um, and that are good people. Um, So we know we partner up with Reads Across America, Operation Help a Hero, um, and I think uh, and answer the call. Um, And then we also uh, collaborate with other organizations like Forest Flags, Patriot Forest, and Badass Boxes. Um, They they want to give back. So they'll, they'll do these uh, collaborations with us. And then the big person, the big, pers- the big uh, company that has really uh, come through and they have been coming through is nine line apparel. Um, they, we run our shirts to them. So when we want to like make shirts for uh, raising money for people that were helping, especially the, uh, the Blackwater guys, that was huge. Um, when they were pardoned, they came out um, and they're like, you know, this is what people understand. Yeah. They were pardoned, but their lives are destroyed. Yeah. Like, So we stepped in, um, raised a bunch of money for them to get them back on their feet. You know, in nine line, um, we're selling Blackwater T-shirts. We raised over ten grand uh, for them that way. Um, So I really, I just want to give a shout out to like all those um, companies and people that we collaborate with, and just thank them uh, for what they're
3: doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. They uh, they are well deserving of that, and uh, and we appreciate them for sure. Uh, and people can can help you out at uh, pipeFitterfoundation.org.
4: Pipefitterfoundation.org. yep, you can go on there. Um, you can see each individual that we're helping, um, the money that we've raised for them. and you can literally click on we have different portals and you can donate money that way. Um, and we'll also, and this is a big thing, we are going to put up on there where all the money's going. I think we you know people got to bear with us. We're, we're learning as we go. Um, and you know, of course, what well, we found out is once you, our foundation started succeeding, we started getting attacked and like, Oh, you, yeah. you guys are keeping all this money and this and that. And we're like, dude, we literally don't take a dime. Like I said, Dina, our executive director is the only person who gets paid and it's meagerly. Um, but we are going to make that as transparent. We should have had that on our website um, already, but we are, we are putting it up there. Um,
3: so, yeah, it's a work in progress. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, I can, Speak from experience, having uh, been been a part of uh, you know from from the foundation of the Warrior Dog Foundation to present, it's been you know over a, well over a decade, and it, it's a lot to to figure out. You know, it's not like either of us have fucking nonprofit experience, yeah. you know, and it's like you're just trying to do the right thing, and, and it's tough to do sometimes. And I think a lot of one of the things I think a lot of people fail to realize, or or if they've never been a part of it, is that you know, the, the principles with which a, a business is successful or not apply to a non-profit also, like oh, you yeah. still have to, you know, take in way more than you're giving out. And, and, you know, you, you have to pay for certain things that, that people aren't going to do for free. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of pro bono work on, on attorney stuff or, uh, you know, other companies that will give you a discounted rate because you're a non-profit or, or, you know, obviously the, the tax exemption, but, you know, you still have to make all the numbers work. You know, yeah, and we got to outsource
4: certain yeah. things to and help individuals. You know, get them on media yeah. outlets, stuff like that. I mean, there's there is a lot of work that goes into it, a lot of money that is spent to help these individuals. Um, but you know, like I said, we're we're definitely blessed over this past year to actually uh, have some money on hand now, so we don't have to be as reactionary. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. yeah.
3: Rock and roll. All right, man. Well, I uh, appreciate you coming coming back again. We'll definitely have you again uh, as things progress. And uh, always appreciate your perspective on everything.
4: I appreciate it, brother. It's always yeah. a pleasure being here.
3: Thank you. And and to you guys, I uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, I'm trying to bring uh, more episodes to you more frequently. And uh, in keeping in tradition that with that, having Eddie on. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for all of those that uh, submitted questions. We appreciate it. I apologize. I, I couldn't get to all of them. But uh, I appreciate your guys' support uh, in continuing to tune in show after show. So thank you to you guys. Thanks to our sponsors. And until next time, this is Mike Drop.